So let's just say that your MacBook Pro, your $2,000 MacBook Pro, happens to get a glitch. I don't know what kind of glitch, because you know, Mac people tell you they never get glitches. But let's just say they do. So let's say that uh, since Laura spoke up, we'll engage. Um, no. Uh, let's say your, your MacBook Pro has an issue and it has to be repaired. Uh, and you take it to a local computer place, just a regular local computer place, right? And you bring it into the counter and you lay it before a 18-year-old uh, guy wearing a Call of Duty shirt, and he hasn't uh, showered for maybe a week. I'm not stereotyping. <laughs> but actually, you may want that guy working on your MacBook Pro. But you have the diligence to ask, so is this a MacBook certified repair center? And he says, no, actually, I'm mostly good with PC. Oh, there's a groan that goes up. A palpable groan goes up. Let me simply ask this question. How many of you are leaving your $2,000 machine with the 18-year-old Call of Duty fiend who is not certified in anything Mac? How many of you are going to leave that, that, uh, that machine there to, to be repaired? Anybody? I mean, you can kind of transpose yourself into the position. Brian, Brian you would. Because he doesn't know Mac. He doesn't care about Mac. It's interesting how, as we move through different seasons of life, how real those things are and how we look at those things. But we need to be honest with ourselves. How would we, in fact, make decisions? My son went through a very interesting lesson in economics recently. He worked at a local place. Uh, I, I won't mention where but he worked at a local place and he worked grill and he was doing back-breaking work for eight hours at a time and he could see the person on register just standing there saying you want chips with that and just going like this and that's all they did and he soon learned that that person was making the same amount of money that he was making by grueling over a hot stove and having to prepare tons of food with sharp instruments and tons of muscle for eight hours at a shot. And he soon learned, I'm not sure this is worth it. So he decided he wanted to get something with more benefits, something that was more beneficial to him. He decided to move on into something different. And now he's working in IT. And so somebody's given him a chance, but he actually uh, may have this opportunity that just presented itself recently to work at Twitch. Big rousing uh, reaction by the group. That would be a dream job for my son. But here's the challenge. Does he know what he needs to know to work at Twitch, right? Does he have the chops to work there? And the reality is, is he's going to have to go interview and he's going to have to show some certification. And the reality of what he's learning is you can go through college and you can get your BA in computer sciences and you can actually graduate and really not know anything. 
right? And that there's going to be a time where you're going to have to show up and you're going to have to prove your certification. And if that certification isn't there, are we going to hire? Probably not, right? Probably not. These are some of the realities of life and, and the things we learn. Paul was facing an interesting reality of life. And again, turn to Acts 22. We pick this up. Paul has been taken into Antonio Fortress. He has returned into Jerusalem. The people have gathered in mass to beat him, to kill him. He is not a popular guy. And so the story picks up today where he had actually convinced the tribune to give him opportunity to speak from the steps of Antonio Fortress and address the crowd. Things were going splendidly until he mentioned that the Lord sent him to the Gentiles to speak. And then the crowd's bloodthirst started raging all over again. So much so that the tribune had to take him in to Antonio Fortress, and that's where we pick up the story. Let's ask the Lord to guide our thinking this morning as we endeavor to learn from the narrative of some history of the church. Father, speak to our hearts today. Let us see some value in this story that is laid out for our benefit to understand your kingdom, to understand our proper responses, to understand how you would ask us to act and what we can call upon. Thank you, Father. Amen. So, let's pick it up, 22, verse 22, if you will. We're going to go through the end of the chapter. It says, up to this word, they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth. In case you didn't catch it, they're basically saying, let's kill him. For he should not be allowed to live. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. But when they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, Is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said to him, What are you about to do? For this man is a Roman citizen. So the tribune came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And he said, Yes. The tribune answered, I bought this citizenship for a large sum. Paul said, But I am a citizen by birth. So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately, and the tribune also was afraid, for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. But on the next day, desiring to know the real reason why he was being accused by the Jews, he unbound him and commanded the chief priests and all the council to meet, and he brought Paul down and set him before them. What a masterful masterful exercise in civics so today i have the dubious responsibility of bringing to you the text sometimes individuals think that pastors abuse the pulpit 
by preaching against people or preaching against current cultural things that just irk them. I just want to share with you, we don't do that here. But you see the obvious tenant of what this scripture presents to us, do you not? Paul claims his citizenship in order to avoid being flogged. So there's a lot of questions with that. Why would he not just suffer for Christ? You see, it's been prophesied that he should suffer, right? It's been prophesied that he will die for Christ. Why now does Paul claim his citizenship? Because there's parts that we don't know that were interacted between the Lord and himself. And because he had the right to claim that. There are some trains of thought by scholars out there that maybe he had some compassion on the tribune. We see the previous week where he engaged with the tribune in Latin and asked if he knew Greek. I'm sorry, in Greek, asked if he knew Greek. And then he asked for the opportunity to speak and address the crowd. And so there was a mutual respect that started to be formed between these two, Paul and this tribune. And he knew what would happen to the tribune once it was stated that he beat, flogged a Roman citizen without a court date, a jury, Judas, jurisprudence, Judas priest, something like that. Just checking. It is 1043. Some of you, that's nap time. The key verse I want us to focus on is this. But when they stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, Is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? Paul had not had his day in court, and yet he was about to suffer consequences. So let's look at some key issues to ponder here. First of all, I want to take you through uh, a couple things. This morning when we talk about three key concepts to citizenship, we have to deal with number one, the law. Number two, mercy. Number three, grace. We're going to use that rubric, that filter, to kind of look and examine this idea of what we see happen with Paul and how do we address this issue, this hotbed topic of citizenship today. Is it just my imagination, or is this a real issue out in our political ether? It is. Not sure what happened there. Apparently someone didn't like that comment. <laughs> but let me move on. Philippians 3, 20 through 21, these are key passages that we'll get into as we move forward. Let's look at what we see in this passage. Paul waits until the last minute to play his ace. How many of you love doing that? You know you've got the law on your side. Some of you, I won't mention whom in the room has done this, but some of you have that little get-out-of-jail-free card from firemen and police. You know that card. Where some of us might have been pulled over at some point in time for a minor infraction, and we may even let it play out a little bit. We may want to play the danger level and see what it was like for real felons 
And then at the last minute, right as he pulls out that pen and starts to write that ticket, oh, wait, can I just show you this? Or did you notice the sticker on my back window? Hey, do you know Sergeant such and such? I had someone that I know that pulled that, and he said, yeah, I know Sergeant such and such. You'll have a good time getting to know him too. Paul is fully aware of his rights and chooses to exercise them here. Why? I'm, I don't know that I can say with a high level of certainty that it was to protect the, the tribune. I think it's more to do with Paul knew where he was going. Paul's heading to Rome. Paul's heading to Rome. You'll hear in just a few minutes the rights of a Roman citizen to have their case heard even by Caesar. And so Paul is, we, some of us are familiar with this concept, you've heard this preached that Paul is going to appear before Caesar. Paul knows that the Lord has him heading to Rome. It's not supposed to end here. And so whether it's the Lord or whether he just understands his rights as a Roman citizen, Paul plays his card at the last minute. By the way, I want you to see some typology here. Where are they? What city? Jerusalem. Who else was taken into Antonio Fortress with the crowd yelling and screaming for his death and was, was flogged? Jesus. Now, Jesus was not a Roman citizen. But as you'll see, you heard it at the end of the chapter that the the tribune passes the buck, and we'll get to that in a moment, and how that works in our current society. He passes the buck over to the high priest. And come back next week because you're going to hear a lot about how all of that works out. So the tribune is made aware of Paul's rights. I think Paul explains and chooses to forego the flogging to call upon his rights because they work to and work with God's plan for him. Paul exercises his civic, civic rights to avoid a flogging where Christ accepted his flogging. Paul ends up in the same shell game as Christ did with the same process of being bounced from Antonio Fortress down to the high priest uh, in, in another part of the city Paul is spared the Roman abuse, but eventually turned over to another department just like Christ was. There is an eventual legal process whereby Paul is handled to the pleasure of the people so as to calm the city. And then you had the old Pilate two-step. You remember what Pilate said about Christ? Multiple times he throws him out in front of the crowd and he says, I find no guilt in this man, the tribune. Lysias has the same predicament. But just like with Christ, the city's not having it. They're saying, we want blood. We want this guy dead and gone. Does that sound familiar in, in our current world? Regardless of where your politics land, does that sound familiar? What I want you to understand is nothing changes. Isn't it fascinating that the very things we see happening 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem, we see happening now. We see happening now. 
So you have the old Pilate two-step, and we see it at the end of the, at the, end of the passage that Lysias knows he has no authority, but he has to keep the city calm. So what is he going to do? Just like Pilate, he's going to pass him off to his own people. Let his own people deal with him. And then he'll figure out what to do with those people if it becomes a problem. It's the lesser of two evils kind of politics. It's not ethical. But sometimes in the world of politics, it gets the job done. How does that work with law? How does that work with mercy? How does that work with grace? Well, let me give you some understanding of citizenship according to Paul. Roman citizenship comes into various categories, all right? The Lex Julia, this extends uh, back to 90 BC. It's from the Julian family, right? Uh, Augustus, Julius Caesar, Augustus. And uh, the idea is that that's the general law. Then there's different gradations of citizenship. There's the Civis Romani, and this is full citizenship and privileges. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, according to Ephesians 1, this is your citizenship. If you know Jesus Christ, there are no gradations to your blessing, to your rights. You get full citizenship in heaven. In Rome, though, there were caveats on citizenship. It's almost to a, a, a level where we have here in, in America, we have a work permit process. So you can be here, but for a period of time. You have a green card status. So you can be here and you can participate in things. And under the green card, you have certain rights. But it is not the same rights of full citizenship. Does that make sense? Let me give you a couple others. So Civis Romani was the full one. Then there's the Latini, uh, which is second tier citizenship and all those rights except marriage except marriage the rights that went with marriage were not passed on to those who were of latini status and there's the so so see i'm not sure i'm saying that right i listened to it five times last night uh and, and their status was certain but limited rights by foreign citizens procured through treaty so it's kind of like those people who live on guam or Puerto Rico, right? I don't really understand how that works. You remember your government class in, in eighth grade? Um, it, it seems like we were told that, yeah, they're kind of citizens, right? They're kind of citizens. I still don't know what the answer to that is. But for these individuals, uh, because of treaty that happened with Rome conquering over other lands or making treaties with other countries, those individuals coming into treaty maintained and had accessibility to certain rights under Roman citizenship. Not all. Then there was the provincials, and uh, this offered basic rights and was the lowest tier. The peregrini, sounds like I know a lot of Italian up here, doesn't it? The peregrini was just the general term of citizen, not of the civis Romani status. So Paul fits somewhere outside the idea of civis Romani, he probably fit within the idea of the Soci, or Soci, right? And so Paul gets to claim that. And that's what we see here. See, Paul, it is said that Paul, he calls out the fact that he is a citizen by birth, and what does the tribune say he's a citizen by? 
He purchased his citizenship. Two different levels of citizenship. Right? So, Paul earns his by birth, but it was through a treaty. Because his came via his father in a treaty where Rome had an agreement with the city of Tarsus. Or Cilicia. One of the two, we're not sure. So Paul has even greater citizenship rights than the tribune does. What a juxtaposition that's happening here. So when we look at all of this, we know what? We know that Paul has citizenship. He calls upon his Roman citizenship, and it works to his advantage, and the law has to abide according to what the law demands. So Paul is spared a flogging. Brothers and sisters, we have rights and advantages. There is recent legislation um, and rulings that have had to do with a culture that desires to shoot down and cease and desist, so to speak, moral decisions, not political decisions, but moral decisions, And there are those in our society that want to claim that those are an impingement upon other people's rights. And so there has been legislation that has passed in California that allows for, in my humble opinion, a ludicrous level of oppression of freedom of speech. I just rejoined the board for Options for Women In a little bit, I'll have an opportunity to share with you a great opportunity that all of you will have coming up. Um, But we were facing a state assembly bill that passed, AB 777, that required medical facilities like the one that Options for Women runs to post a sign giving the number for Planned Parenthood and abortions in the lobby of a place that by their moral fiber, their, their mission statement are vehemently opposed to that very thing. That passed. And so, when I was on the board, we had to decide what are we going to do. We could have faced huge fines, and what was advised to us by NIFLA was take the fine. As long as it is in process because it will be appealed. And so we never posted something that would be rudimentary and philosophically and ethically the antithesis of the very thing that we are trying to do out of love for life and love for people in crisis. That was overruled by the Supreme Court a few months ago. Praise God. But we had a decision where we had to work within our rights When the state said, you need to do this, we had to let it play out, and we claimed parts of the law in order to not acquiesce to this oppression. Do you see the connection with what we're looking at today? Brothers and sisters, there are times in our citizenship where we have to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. God has created a way within our political and governmental structure for us to appeal from the sense of where we come from, from a biblical worldview. Why not use that? And this is what Paul is doing. So let's look at our 
value of our citizenship. It all stems from the Constitution, right? So you're going to get a civics class here. We, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for each person cable TV and full benefits, uh, you are guaranteed a Roth IRA and uh, job security for everyone. Oh, I'm sorry, there's an amendment, and everyone gets to go to university. Guaranteed graduating with magna cum laude and a $80,000 a year job. Oh, sorry, that part, that part was, um, that social justice stuff that was added on, I forgot the footnote. It says this, domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. Do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. Our rule of law is completely predicated off the Constitution. That preamble gives you an understanding of why the Constitution exists, for what purpose. Then you get into all the amendments. Those are the particulars of how we do rule of law. Let's look at the 14th, shall we? Because this speaks about citizenship. And if we're going to get into this idea of citizenship and Paul and, and what our rights are, we need to look at what the actual law says because we're talking about law, mercy, and grace today. There are two ways to become a U.S. citizen. By birth, in which a person is presumed to be a citizen, provided that they are born within the territorial limits of the United States, although we're not sure about Puerto Rico or Guam, or through citizenship of a parent and naturalization, a process in which an immigrant applies for citizenship and is accepted. Both pathways to citizenship are reflected in the Citizenship Clause of the Constitution's 1868-14th Amendment. So my question is this. We live in a culture today where we're talking a lot about rights. And what do I deserve? What did Paul deserve? Did Paul deserve to be flogged? Well, according, he, he just affirmed this whole crowd earlier in the chapter, folks. He said, I was just like you. I was zealous for God, just like you. I know why you're passionate. I went out and killed me. I understand you. I relate to you, right? And they slowly started falling into the palm of his hand. And then he had to go mention those Gentiles again. And he lost the whole crowd and they started screaming, away with him. He doesn't deserve to live. So Paul had to call on the law. So we had an interesting conversation this past week in my vehicle. My, my family came from out of town. It was my dad's 90th birthday. A lot of you did a great job in, in uh, sharing with him, communicating with him, and, and making all my family feel very warm and welcome last week. Thank you so much. We had a great week. We were in uh, one of our moments where we're all together. I don't know if we were at dinner. I don't know what, what we were doing, but we were on our way back, and we got in this conversation about tipping, about tipping. And some of us in the car saw tipping a certain way and others didn't see it that way how many of you have gone the example I'll just give you the real life example and, and that was when I've gone to go get ice cream I have been leveraged now to tip for ice cream you know 
and I go to pay, which I owe by law, I owe for this ice cream. I'm going to fulfill my lawly duty. I'm going to be a good citizen. And I walk up, and, and now there's an iPad here. I can't believe I mentioned two Apple products in one sermon. <laughs> there's an iPad here, and I can't just pay. I have to make a decision, and I am guilted into not tipping. Right? Because I can either give 5%, 10%, 20% or let's let's really go for it and put other right and I shared dubiously with all of my family in the car no I, I just go straight to pay the bill part of what I paid for with this ice cream was 5% for the product probably 50% for your overhead and probably 40% I think the math comes out on that for your salary. I'm already paying you. But they know that they've got us leveraged. And, and, and some of the people in our car were saying, they work hard. They deserve a tip. And I'm saying, the law requires me to pay this much. <laughs> I hear you, sister. Now, here's the issue. I have actually, in fact, started tipping in the rare occasion I go get an ice cream at this one particular place. Reason is, they ran out of my favorite flavor. They ran out of my favorite flair, and, and it's the same gal, she knows my order. <laughs> I don't even have to say it. And so one day I came in, and, and she's looking, and she goes, oh no, we don't have, and uh, they discontinued it, and I'm like, oh. And so I'm ready to walk out. She goes, let me go to the back, I'll look and see if there's any like hiding in a corner. And she found some, and I was so happy, and the sun shined a little brighter, and the birds sang a little louder, and there's actually extra money in my wallet now. And, and so because of that extra effort, guess what she got? She got a tip. And so every time I'm in there now, that girl gets a tip because she goes to an extra level. She had mercy on my soul of eating ice cream right actually this is a demonstration of grace right when it comes to citizenship issues the, and our rights the reality is is that there is the law you have to start with how do we operate within the law but then there are moments where we might grant mercy in our current narrative that is a term called amnesty are you familiar with that so that would be the sense of, of, of mercy. In a spiritual level of heavenly citizenship, this would be us not receiving what we deserve for the penalty of our sins. Does that make sense? Now, I, that one, you got, a, you got a lot more on the civic level than you did the spiritual level. All right, I might need to review that a bit, a bit later. But when it comes to the idea of grace with our citizenship, it is the idea that God does not withhold from us. He gives us full civic Romani citizenship. There's no gradation. Does that make you excited? How would you like to make it halfway to heaven? Because there's religions that propagate that. Jesus Christ says, look in Ephesians 1, I don't have time to go there right now, but in Ephesians 1, it talks very specifically about this idea that he's given us every spiritual blessing on heaven and on earth. Heavenly citizenship 
is full grace. Giving me what I don't deserve. Now, had I not tipped this gal, I wish I could say there was really just a good heart here, but when she did all that, I was like, you know, if I want that in the future, I better tip her, right? I'll just be real with you. I would have tipped her anyway, but that thought really was there. And so she goes out of her way to talk to her manager to say, hey, you really need to bring this back. I got this one customer, and he's really just a great guy, and we want that flavor for him. When we're talking about citizenship, we have to look at these three components of law, mercy, and grace. So I want to take you through some other scripture that speaks to this. But before we get to it, we're looking at this issue of rights. We live in a world that talks about rights, and rights are not bad. We have rights given to us by Christ, amen? We have rights given to us because God has instituted governments. Paul calls on his right as a Roman citizen. We have rights under the Constitution. We have the rights of a sovereign nation. We have civil rights. We have Miranda rights. Those are all very challenging for us to figure out under the challenges of what we're seeing with the immigration conversation today. There are those that really desire that we would have mercy on on those that are here uh, without citizenship. Let's just grant them citizenship and give them full benefits, civis Romani. There are those that uh, say that we should just give allowance without even worrying about citizenship. That that would be a a super high level of grace. How do we figure this stuff out? I'm I'm proud to say that our denomination is taking this seriously, and there is a... uh, There's a focus within our denomination called all peoples. And because of our church and and the diversity that's within our church, uh, we're part of that narrative. And I'm very excited to share with you that we're hosting a national conference in November. And it's called Immigrant Hope. Immigrant Hope. And it's a conference by the EFCA and by experts and lawyers that they have gathered together. And it'll be in November. And it's to train key leaders on how to create a pathway to citizenship. How do we help businesses, nonprofits, churches, community organizations, how do we help them with this? Because so often the church in history has been critical of being silent when it comes to the needs of the people. And so you'll hear more about this if you would like to attend that conference Uh, You're going to be able to register through our website, and it's a whole week. I'm fairly certain that most of you can't because it's from 8 in the morning until 5 in the afternoon for a whole week. But I want you to be praying about that conference because we'll be gathering people from all over the nation uh, to be here within our church because we want to take on this issue and give clarity to it. We want to create a pathway. So I want you to wrestle with this idea. There's a cost to citizenship. Now Paul inherits his through his father. The tribune did what? He bought his. How many of you have been really irritated with my shoes? This morning. Let me tell you how my morning went. I got up. I cleaned myself up fairly well. I put on this rental suit. 
and uh, I was feeling pretty sharp. And then I came to the decision of shoes. And I'm looking at my shoes, and um, I just didn't have a pair of nice shoes that would go with this outfit. And, and I, I really, I pulled a pair out, and I literally heard this from my left, the region of the bedroom where someone else was residing. And they said, you cannot wear those shoes with that outfit. It's the law. No mercy, no grace. And so I put those shoes back. And I put these shoes on. Now you're wondering which shoes I put back, right? So I'll tell you what I wish I had. Um, I'm going to take this off because I want to... Uh, show you that I also started to unfold my sleeves. I was lazy and put this shirt away and, and the sleeves were up and I folded them down. You know what, that's another fashion lawbreaker. Because what do you have from this point down? Wrinkles. Think I care? No, you care less, but I'm breaking a fashion law. No mercy, no grace. So I've got these rolled up inside of a coat jacket. You know how uncomfortable that is? It doesn't work. Let's keep going with this outfit demonstration. I'm wearing a brown belt. Think that matches? Think I want to talk about my belt? Because that makes you focus on this area right here. Don't really want to focus on that. But I'll tell you what I wish I had for shoes. This is highly disturbing for my daughter. She's got to leave. <laughs> what I wish I had for shoes was a beautiful pair of brown leather with, with the, the little dots in them, right? And they're a little darker in some spots, a little lighter. And you know the shoes are, wouldn't that look good? That, I never would have heard that comment. I would have heard, oh yeah, baby, put those shoes on. <laughs> right? I would have heard that. No grace, no mercy, just the law of fashion was exacted. Now, I put that out to say, none of you would wear these shoes. Well, some of you might. But you fashion conscious people would never have worn these shoes with this outfit. Now, if I had come to you this morning starting out with illustrations about should we allow people to have full benefits that aren't citizens, we probably would have had a lot of tension in the room and not a lot of honesty. We would have had polarization. We would have argued from the sense of the law. We would have argued from a sense of grace and mercy. We would have argued from these different positions. The reality is not many of you are willing to hand your MacBook Pro over to someone who's not certified to work on it. You want the certification. When it comes to the realities of your life, you may claim one thing idealistically, but the way you live, i.e., you cannot wear those shoes. You're breaking fashion law. Well, I'll tell you what. You want to exercise some grace and pay for the right good-looking set of shoes for me? My wife's all, come on, don't ask that question of these people. But I want you to think about that because I've watched a lot of videos where these conversations happen on the streets and say, well, who's going to pay for all those benefits? So we simply say, well, the taxpayer will pay for all those. You know, this will happen, that will happen, the other, sure, buy me a pair of brown shoes, folks. Don't buy me a pair of brown shoes. I, I got a pair of brown shoes. You understand my point. Let's get into some scripture because I really wanted to make you uncomfortable there. 
to deal with the reality of this idea of citizenship. There's a cost to citizenship. There's a deep cost for high value. Paul inherited his. Lysias bought his. Jesus died for ours. Amen? Jesus died for ours. We have dual citizenship if we know Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And this is where I want to get into these scriptures. All right? This is where I want to transfer this idea of just the citizenship idea here around us. And Paul never saw himself. It's ironic that Paul claims this earthly or, or Roman citizenship for his advantage. He has that right. He has the right to do that according to the law. And, and he had grace given to him by Lysias earlier in the chapter where he's allowed to speak because there was a connection and he was given a gift that he didn't necessarily deserve. Now he's given mercy by Lysias because of what? Because of the law. See how all these things work in conjunction with citizenship and our need, our focus, to look at the idea of this spiritual focus because this is where Paul says the, the preeminence is. Yes, we, we need to deal with the, the civic responsibilities here, but are we disregarding our spiritual citizenship? What did Paul say? Philippians 3, 20 through 21. And folks, this is where you're going to want to write things down. There's so much to this conversation, I gave you zero. I didn't go with my standard three major points, three sub points today. So you can pull out your sheet and write these scriptures down. Philippians 3, 20 through 21, he says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. You're talking about the idea that we have a citizenship in heaven. This comes from Christ. And he's going to give us incredible benefits. He's going to upgrade our body to be like his glorious body. Sounds good, doesn't it? Hebrews 11, 13 through 16 speaks of a people who understood the difference between their, their citizenship here their rights here, their privileges and benefits here, and what they were looking forward to in the future. And it says this, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. Does that sound like common vernacular today? Having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, for people who speak thus make it clear they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desired a better country. Let me just pause. There is nothing wrong with desiring a better country. Is that clear? Otherwise, we have no business desiring heaven. This is what the text is teaching us. So there should be an understanding for those that want to come to a place, whether it's Denmark or whether it's North Dakota. If there are individuals seeking a better life, brothers and sisters, I encourage you to stay in that two-bedroom apartment that you started out in. Don't keep moving into a better living situation. This is the reality of how we live. And it even is seen and stipulated in Scripture. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. 
Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. God has prepared a city for his citizens. There's some interesting things about that city. We'll get to it in a minute. Now, what do you do with the idea of government and law and all that's going on as a believer in Christ? You see, we as believers should examine and focus on things from a sense of mercy and grace. Amen? The very person we're speaking to writes to Titus chapter 3, verse 1, Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. Later on in Romans 13, 1-7, he talks about observing and subjecting yourself to the rulers of this world, for God has established those rulers. Now, do you think Paul is thinking God established the tribune, Lysias? Well, why, wouldn't, why would he write this if he didn't? You see, God's economy for this time and this period is not necessarily designed to be reflective or exactly like the heavenly city. There will be challenges. There will be difficulties. And even Christ subjected himself to Pilate, did he not? But he also said to Pilate, you have no authority other than what? What has been given to you. Let's think carefully before we are, are claiming... By the way, the Romans 13 goes into great detail about pay your taxes. All right? And, and many of us, we want to claim uh, something from religious standpoints that we shouldn't be paying taxes. Here's a beauty of what Jesus says about this specifically when questioned, Matthew 22, 21. They said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And as we look at those, those passages, we see directly from Jesus Christ that he acknowledges the need for government, and that we are to give to Caesar what Caesar asks for, or what we are obligated to. But remember, Paul says, You cannot exercise this flogging on me because I'm a Roman citizen. I have my rights. God has established these things so that we can utilize these, so that we can stay involved and be light, be salt on the earth rather than retreat and live in a communal area free from civics. Colossians 3.11 speaks to the idea of bigotry. That when it comes to the issue of citizenship and the narrative that's out there today, we want to claim racism, we want to claim bigotry. Here's why the church exploded, brothers and sisters, is that there was class societies all over within Rome, all over within even the Jewish society. And what happened because of Jesus Christ? Paul says this, Colossians 3.11, and he says it in Galatians as well and in some other areas. He says, here there is not Greek and Jew circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Amen? That is why you had slave and master sitting next to each other within the church. Because the love of Christ and the citizenship of heaven is the great leveler. It's the great equalizer. When you have dual citizenship, the one reflects and informs the other with grace and mercy and within the constraints of the law. 
Let's look at, real quickly, Revelation 7, 9. It says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches in their hands. You see this picture of heaven where every nation will be there. Amen? I encourage you, you run into someone that thinks that there's a hierarchy to ethnicity or nations, take them to Revelation 7, please. They need to see that. But even with all that scripture, you may still be a little bit confused. So let me take you to Luke 10, 29, because this passage is a, a, a pivotal passage to helping us understand the deeper things of the, the royal law. Thou shalt love the Lord your what? With all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus was challenged on this concept. And so he gives a story about the Good Samaritan. Now I've heard a lot of excuses that were commanded and were manipulated and leveraged because of political and national position. Let me clarify all that for you. It's real simple. None of these folks were in their backyard. None of them had any rights to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Jericho. As a matter of fact, Jesus was very specific in picking that zone because not many people even wanted it. It was a transitory road. And it says that there was an individual that was laying there that had been robbed and beaten up. He was hurting. In essence, he needed help. This is the immigration issue, is it not? It says that the priest went by and just kept walking said that I think it was a Pharisee went by. I don't remember exactly the order. And he just kept walking. But it says that a Samaritan, who by the way is way out, if you know where Samaria is, it'd be like dealing with someone from Mill Valley. Okay? And saying, that's my neighbor. Okay? Not only that, people from Mill Valley don't talk to us people in Concord. Let's just be honest. The Samaritan's not going to They were seen as the low of the low. And Jesus is being very specific with this illustration to answer this question, who is my neighbor? We are to approach with the same mercy and the same grace that Jesus gives in this story to the commonality of men within the construct of the law. Does that make sense? We do not let the law be an excuse for the lack of mercy and grace that we see out of Jesus Christ. We also do not disregard passages like Titus 3 or Romans 13 and say that there is no reason for the law. But it's not just this passage that that gets to me. Romans 21, 26-27 is a brutal understanding of where the narrative goes and the similarities between our citizenship and the challenges that are happening here and what happens in heaven. We talk about law, we talk about mercy, we talk about grace. Let me take this as I wrap up today into this context. It's the end of chapter 21, and the design of the city of heaven, the new Jerusalem, is being laid out, and there's dimensions given, and guess what is there? There's a wall. Yeah, that's right. I use the W word. There's a wall. 
Now, I've seen this abused brutally over social media. I've seen people cite this passage to try to prove their point. Hmm. I think they missed the point. Let me help you understand what's going on there. A wall simply represents security and the security of heaven and God's security for his people. There's the idea that sin will never abound in heaven in the new Jerusalem. That there is protection for that which is good. Once sin entered into the earth at the Garden of Eden, what happened at the Garden? They were cast out and there was a guard put up, a cherub, that would not allow them into the Garden anymore. You see, this is what sin does. And this is the picture of heaven. And listen to the brutal reality of this. They will bring... Yeah, they will bring it into the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Now, this is a huge challenge, brothers and sisters. We talk about dual citizenship. We see the r real importance of eternity. There is a barrier, and that is there because of the law. And God's Word says that there will be a point in time where no longer will people be, enter, be able to enter in. They will no longer be granted citizenship. There's a finality to that. Here's the good news. We're not there yet. We're not there yet. And as a matter of fact, citizenship there costs a lot. As a matter of fact, we could never purchase that citizenship. Do you know that that's part of the challenge of, of, our, of our narrative here? Is that it is so expensive and it takes so long for individuals to become citizens, it's prohibited. You realize that all of us, in a sense of our spiritual life, we experience the same thing. You could never purchase. You cannot be lysias in this story of eternal life. You cannot purchase your heavenly citizenship. But here's the mercy and the grace of this story. It was purchased for you. It was purchased for you. Can you imagine the joy that would go up for all those that desire to have the benefits of this country where someone just waves their hand and says, not only do you get to come in, but we're going to give you full benefits. We're going to pay for all of it. And I joked about our Constitution because we know that that's part of the challenge, isn't it? Because we can't pay for all of it. It's impossible for us to pay for all of it. You're right. How much sweeter then is citizenship in heaven when it has all been paid for? Now think about this. It's all been paid for you. All you have to do is go into the swearing-in ceremony. Raise your hand and say, I do. And yet people say over and over, I don't. There is a day coming where those gates, they'll remain open, but the shepherd will guard them. So what do we learn today? I take you to one last passage, Matthew 15, 24 through 26. This is a confusing passage. 
And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman, not an Israelite, a Canaanite, right? Like if this was vaudeville and I said Canaanite, you all would do what? Boo, hiss, right? Canaanite, you get the picture. Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. That's paramount to someone coming to our country and saying, can I get an appointment to talk to the consulate? No, we won't even, we won't even talk to you. We're not even going to talk to you. Does that fit with your understanding of who Jesus is? There's a rub here, right? Am I imagining this? It gets worse. It gets worse. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. Come on, we can't deal with this. She's not part of our group. Get her out of here. Send her back. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. It's getting worse. Do you see? It's getting worse the deeper we get into this story. Woman comes with a huge need, a huge problem. Jesus won't even speak to her. Now Jesus' boys, his deputies, his secretaries of the interior, say, get her out of here. She's not of us. And then Jesus says, what to her? Don't bother talking to me. I only came for these guys. Does this sound like you're Jesus? This story has always bugged me. Always bugged me. But I'll tell you what, it certainly sounds like a lot of what we hear today. Where's the grace? Where's the mercy? Was he right that he was sent for Israel? Yes, he was right that he was sent for Israel. There's so much more going on here underneath the surface. Can I just take a minute to illuminate it for you? But she came and knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. <laughs> Are you kidding me? This is Jesus, the one who died on the cross for all men. She said this, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. I'll take anything you can give me. Anything. I understand I'm not from Israel. I understand I have no business talking to you. But can you just give me something? Because I have such a great need. She didn't give up. She wanted it. She knew who Jesus was. And she wanted it. Look at what happened. Then Jesus answered her, O oh woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Let me help you with some insight because this is not easily understood. You have Jesus. You have the woman and her daughter most of that narrative 
was for whom? Jesus? The daughter? The woman? Who do you think most that narrative was for? The disciples. Get her away from here. Get her away from here. Woman, I'm not even going to talk to you. You dog. Because I have the authority. I am the law. And I'm going to give you grace and mercy because you have it right. Jesus has made the way and is there for everyone for dual citizenship. Amen? Amen. In closing, I have three things. What did we learn today? I don't know. The pastor can just preach for hours and hours. Citizenship comes with requirements. There's no getting around it, okay? Citizenship comes with requirements. Two, citizenship comes through the exercise of mercy. Some of us in this room have been given citizenship because of mercy. Because we need something. The woman needed something. Desperately. Have mercy. Citizenship also comes through the gift of grace. I'm a citizen of the United States because of the privileges of being born here. I had no choice in it. I was born here, and so I've been given these innate gifts, rights, privileges. More so, I have dual citizenship in heaven. I have dual citizenship in heaven. That price was paid, and that's His law. And it was given through mercy and given through grace. Something to challenge me with today. Very simple question. Are you a dual citizen? Are you a dual citizen? Because those rights and benefits do not come unless you go to the swearing-in ceremony and you say, I do. Am I an advocate for those without dual citizenship? We have a lot of people that get really in an uproar and get excited and and, and want to march and want to advocate for those. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's our right. My question is simply this. When was the last time we marched for those who don't have citizenship in heaven? That's a lot harder march to gather people for. But you'll hear during our ministry moment today how that can happen. Am I more concerned about the plight of non-citizens here than non-citizens of heaven? Lastly, am I ready to be... Uh, more of an activist for heaven than I am for here in, in, in earth. Remember, you want to be a certified tech, or you want a certified tech working on your MacBook Pro. Let's not be quick to judge Jesus for his requirements to heavenly citizenship, especially when he was the one that provided the pathway. The great part about heavenly citizenship is simply that. Daddy's got a new pair of shoes. And, and, and that's laughable. But he wants to give me the best. The question is, am I going to the swearing-in ceremony? I hope we see and we look at this morning something that was in the text, not saying pastor's political. The beauty about the text is that it speaks to everyday issues and, and challenges that we have as a church, as the church. Let me pray, and then we're going to have the worship band come up and and lead us in praise 
in reflection of what we've heard out of the word today. Let's go to prayer. Father, thank you today for the blessedness of all that you have brought in this passage. Let us take it and apply it. Let us use it for your glory. Let us wrestle with it. Let us consider whether we have dual citizenship or not. Let us think through and be motivated to process the idea of being an advocate for those who have yet to have dual citizenship. Let us approach earthly challenges with spiritual answers, Father. To you be all glory. We ask these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.